3, Exodus 3 is where we will begin today. Now Moses kept the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the backside of the desert and came to the mountain of God, even to Horeb. And the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. And he looked, and behold, the bush burned with fire, and the bush was not consumed. And Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight, why the bush is not burnt. And when the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called unto him out of the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, Here am I. And he said, Draw not nigh hither. Put off thy shoes from off thy feet, for the place where all thou standest is holy ground. Moreover, he said, I am the God of thy father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look upon God. The Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people which are in Egypt, and have heard their cry by reason of their taskmasters, for I know their sorrows. Isn't it a blessing to you that God knows your sorrows? He doesn't jump in and fix everyone just as quick as he wish, we wish that he would. <laughs> He's got some lessons for you to learn through it, so he lets you, he lets you in there. Just stay with him. <laughs> he and I have had a few discussions about that. <laughs> but let me tell you something. He knows it. And he appreciates Amen. it. And he's going through every one of them right there with you. And when you're in the fiery furnace, there he is right beside you. <clears throat> now, yes, I, I do get a little mad, and I do wish, as soon as he saw it, he'd just get me out of it. <laughs> it's not the way he does, and he knows what's best, and he loves us more than anybody else. But he knows your sorrows. Remember when he told Jacob after Laban, his father-in-law, was doing him wrong? He said, I have seen all that Laban doeth unto thee. Somebody doing you wrong, doing a situation that's hurting you. God sees all that. He knows about it. In the end, it's going to come out right. Now, right now, no. But in the end, he's taking all that into account. You can just trust and obey. You can just trust and keep doing right. You do not have to get in there and fix it. Stop trying. Let him. You just keep doing right. Here was, he, here was he, the children of Israel down in Egypt, and they're being done wrong, and they're expecting too much from them, and they're telling them, we're not even going to give you the material anymore. You're going to get the material and still do just as much work, and it wasn't fair, and it wasn't right. And God saw all that a little bit later. Verse uh, 8, 9, Exodus 3. And I am come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land unto a good land and a large, unto a land flowing with milk and honey, unto the place of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Perizzites and the Hivites and the Jebusites. Now therefore, behold, the cry of the children of Israel is come unto me, and I have also seen the oppression wherewith the Egyptians oppress them. Come now, therefore, and I will send thee unto Pharaoh, that thou mayest bring forth my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. All right, I want to take our text mainly from uh, verse 4. 
where Moses is keeping the flock, and the angel of the Lord appears to him in fire in a bush. And when does the Lord talk to him? In verse 4 it says, And when the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called unto him out of the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, Here am I. We'll preach today, turning aside for blessing. Dear Heavenly Father, I pray that you come down and bear witness to the truth of your word. And thank you, Lord, for what this has meant to me in my life. And I'm sure sorry that I haven't applied it more. I'm sure it would have been even more of a blessing if I would have. I pray, God, that you help me to keep growing in this very subject. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. I want to say this morning, take time to seek and find God in the daily toil and hustle and bustle of life. We sometimes get the idea that God showed up and created the earth. And then he came down and died on the cross. And then he's going to show up again at the second coming. And that's, that's all of God we get. And those are great things. I mean, the creation is wonderful. And the crucifixion changed everything for us, didn't it? And his second coming is going to change everything for all the history. And those are great things. And you should study them and you should know them and you should love them. But in the morning, when you wake up, have to go to work again, he's going to be right there then in the same way that he was there at creation. And at the crucifixion and at the second coming. And when you're tired, he's right there. Amen. And sometimes you just need to turn aside to see him. And Moses is leading this flock by a mountain when a sight that at first might seem of little significance stops him and turns him around. And it was then that the Lord called him by name and gave him the great commission of his life. I brag on Moses a lot when I teach and preach about events of his life from the Bible. He's a big hero of mine. He is in about anybody's top five of Bible characters. Amen. Maybe historical characters. And he got the commission of his life when he was out watching a flock. Let me tell you something. Watching a flock is has long, boring hours in between a little excitement here and there. Very true. I mean, he was just sitting there watching a flock. He did that for years, decades, man. Slow. And one time a bush was on fire. Well, you know that happens from time to time, lightning strikes or something. And the bush just kept burning and never did burn up. And he said, you know, I'm going to have to stop and see that. And besides, it kind of looks like a person, that flame there, because it was the angel of the Lord appearing to him. And when the Lord saw that he turned aside to see. When I read this passage, it scares me to death. They say that men are real bad to compartmentalize things. Right now I'm at work. I'm just thinking about work. Right now I'm at church. I'm just thinking about church. Well, we need to realize the Lord is in work, home, vacation, ball game, everything we got going hunting trip, shopping trip, traveling to see family, eating, dieting, exercising, whatever you got going, the Lord is right there. And in a time that I would completely understand if Moses had just said, I'm not fooling with that. There's a sheep over here that needs me. 
he turned aside to see that thing, and that was when God spoke to him. Something spiritual caught his attention. Does something spiritual catch your attention right in the middle of your day? How about when you're just real busy and you're a little stressed? I wonder if sometimes the devil does that just so you won't notice something spiritual going on around you. As I've matured and grown older, I do a lot better handling a lot of things than I used to as a younger, angrier man. And I'm glad I've grown in that. I wish I would have grown sooner. But one that still gets me is when there's two or three things on me at the same time. I still don't handle that well. Ask the people I work with every day. Ask my kids. Um, when several things are going on at the same time, ugh, I don't have time for another distraction. I wonder how many times I have missed the Lord. Because I just was refusing to look. Because I just had too much on my mind. So we're going to look at a few places where somebody stops in the middle of the day and in the middle of the task that they're in, entrusted with and they hear something from the Lord. Moses and David had the Lord show up while they were tending sheep. Elisha had the Lord show up while he was plowing a field. Remember Elijah came to him? Amos while he was farming crops and livestock, Matthew, while he was collecting taxes, Peter, James, and John, while they were fishing, Paul, while he was persecuting the church, <laughs> isn't that a weird one? But, buddy, he was zealous about it. He meant business about it. He went and got letters, and it was all legal, and he was going to lock a bunch of them up. I mean, you'll have to, I'll, I'll give him this. Uh, he meant business about it. He was working hard at it. He was busy with it. The Lord just knocked him down. <laughs> he didn't have any choice but to listen, did he? Priscilla and Aquila, while they were making tents. Barnabas, while he was teaching and prophesying. Timothy, while he was ministering to the brethren at Lystra and Iconium. And Apollos, while he was studying and teaching. Hey, don't ever get so busy with whatever your occupation is that you don't notice when God shows up and says something to you. And he's right there all the time. So let's look at this one first here in Exodus 3. We'll look at maybe just a couple others. But Exodus 3, I call this one recognition of the divine presence. Do you recognize God's presence in your life? You recognize that even while you're sitting there doing that boring, just sitting there watching the sheep, just making sure a wolf or a lion doesn't come, just making sure that a bear doesn't get them, and, you know, it's not like a bear's there every five minutes. You know, it's rare. You can fall asleep. We've come through some hunting season here. How many deer hunters or other hunters have been sitting out there in the woods waiting and get watching the little bugs crawling under the leaves and this and that, and look up and there's a deer? You know what will happen sometimes in life? You just be busy watching the stuff that happens all day, every day, and you miss when something happens that you need to be have your eyes open to. And when it's something to do with the Lord, He's there all the time. We shouldn't get so complacent. So I noticed some lessons here in this recognition of the divine presence. Number one, God reveals Himself. In his time. I'm 
mean, man, poor old Moses went to the backside of the desert. Was it 40 years? I can feel myself getting those feelings toward the Lord that I sometimes get. He was trying to do right. He was going to rescue Israel. He was going to bring them out. And he saw an Egyptian doing one of them wrong. He got mad and killed the guy and buried him in the sand. But he still was the deliverer of Israel. And the Lord let him go to the backside of the desert and stay 40 years, man. I mean, I, I kind of would have understood it if it would have been four weeks, four months. I mean, the guy needed killing. He was beating an Israelite. <laughs> See how we can justify these things? Four years, 10 years, 14 years. But 40 years, just stay faithful to God. And in the end, it all comes out right. You say, oh, I don't feel like waiting for a decade. Yeah, well, sometimes you don't have to. Remember when they got to Kadesh Barnea and the Lord was ready for them to go on in then? And they said, oh, wait a minute, wait a minute. We don't have some things ready. We're not, we're, we're not ready to handle these giants. Sometimes the Lord's ready for you to go right now. The Lord gets ready for you to do things on His time. It might be four decades, and it might be four minutes. You know what the waiter does at a restaurant? They watch for when you're ready for your appetizer, your drink, your dessert, your check, whatever it is you're waiting on. And if you're one of these people that takes a long time to eat, that's okay. And if you're one of these people that will... I was eating with my Andrew here a month or two ago. And every time we'd sit down to eat, about the time the rest of us get a good start, we'd look at his plate, and it was clean, man. I don't know what it is, but Andrew just woofs his food down. That happened multiple times during my visit. That waiter had to worry about him being done in two minutes and all the rest of us being done in 30 minutes. And that's the way it is with the Lord. You just wait on him. And when he's ready for something right now, you get it. And when he's ready for you to be patient, you be patient. That's a hard lesson to learn. He'll sometimes have you ready to go before you think you're ready. And he'll other times make you wait long time after you were sure you were ready to get your degree or your job or your promotion or your marriage or your children or your retirement or whatever it is you're waiting for next. God reveals these things in His time. Acts chapter 7 talks about these things. I think I wrote this verse down here. It says, And when forty years were expired, there appeared to Him in the wilderness of Mount Sinai an angel of the Lord in a flame of fire and a bush. Uh, if the Lord told me to go deliver Israel out of Egypt, and I end up in the backside of the desert, and forty years pass, I would have assumed, okay, I must have just missed my window of opportunity. <laughs> I guess I just messed that one up so bad the Lord's moved on. <laughs> I guess he's changed his mind. Isn't that some of what Sarah and Abraham must have thought? When the Lord promised them a son and it got to the point that it was no longer with Sarah the way it is with women, you know, and all of a sudden the Lord said, uh, yeah, you're still going to have a child by Sarah, and Sarah laughed in the, in the tent door. I don't blame her. I get it. I would assume I had missed my chance. I must have done something wrong. I know God doesn't do anything wrong, so it must be my fault. 
sometimes you forget God just doesn't do things on your timetable. Alright, the next thing I notice about this is God reveals himself to those who are employed. I already gave you several examples through the Bible of people who were busy doing something, their, their daily task, and God showed up in the middle of it. Gave them their job. Gave them the great commission of their lives. Let me tell you what to do. Stay busy with the stuff you're supposed to be staying busy with. You're supposed to be in school. Study your best and get your best grades and do the best you can in school. You work in a job, be the best employee you can. You got a house, take care of it the best you can. You got some children, take care of them the best you can. Guard them. You know what? When you get into these things and you realize you're being a little too passive and letting them in the world too much, pull them back. You realize you're being too mean and fussing too much, calm yourself down. <laughs> Whichever, just constantly be improving, constantly doing a little bit better, constantly better than you were the day before. Why? Because that's the task God has given you. Do good with it. You managing some money for somebody? Take the best care of it. You know how to. Just be big. Why? Because that's who God shows up to. People that are busy doing the job he's given them. I being in the way the Lord led me, we often quote. I'll tell you something else that I notice about the divine presence. God reveals himself in his time. He reveals himself to those who are employed. He reveals himself to those who, those who revere him. When Moses realized who that was, he was scared to look at God. The Bible teaches the fear of God. <clears throat> I'm not saying all of your relationship with God should be fear, but it should be a significant part of it. Amen. We understand that real well. If we had a mom and daddy that loved us, we knew they loved us, but a significant part, not all of it, but a significant part of our relationship with our mom and dad was fear. You know why? Because that hooked us. They cared enough about us to correct us. Amen. There are a lot of people that think if somebody fusses at you, they don't love you. I don't have that. I can't think that way. I had a strict mom and dad. I had some strict family members. I was brought up in strict Christian schools and strict Bible-believing Baptist churches. And I just always figured the people that cared enough to fuss at me about something were the ones that loved me. And the ones that never say a word to me and couldn't care less what I'm doing, they're the ones that do not love me. But we live in a day that if you fuss at somebody and yell at them and correct them, they think that's being mean. I just have a totally different take on it than that. I can't think that way. And I understand there's different personality types. And, and uh, you know, I do understand that some people go too far. I understand all those things. But as much as I understand that, I still can't bring myself to thinking that somebody that talks mean, as some people might call it, or fusses at me, is somebody who doesn't care. If they didn't care, they'd just pass on and go. They must care. It's not worth getting in the middle of that if you don't care about somebody. So God reveals himself to those who revere him. Let me tell you what God will do. He will absolutely wear you. You've been saved very long. There's been some times he wore you out. And you can give testimony to it. He will absolutely fuss at you. So that's the recognition of the divine presence. All right, now let's look at another time uh, where this comes up. 
somebody's busy and their mind on something else, and uh, they turn aside. Look over at Judges chapter 14. Judges chapter 14, that young man, Samson, that strong guy, that judge of Israel, that one that uh, delivered them from the Philistines repeatedly, and yet just couldn't keep his eye off the girls, could he? He's, uh, he's got his mom and dad, and they're going down with him to the daughters of the Philistines, and he's going to get him a wife. When a young man is going to get him a wife, he's got plenty on his mind. <laughs> it's pretty much all going one way. <laughs> anybody understand what I'm saying? Am I letting out a big secret that's shocking anybody? When you're in that uh, courtship stage, boy, where you're thinking about getting married and planning for getting married and that sort of thing, that's, uh, that dominates most everything else you've got going in life, doesn't it? And so he has plenty on his mind, and uh, in this setting, let's pick up verse 5. Then went Samson down, and his father and his mother to Timnath, and came to the vineyards of Timnath, and behold, a young lion roared against him. And the Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon him, and he rent him as he would have rent a kid, and he had nothing in his hand, but he told not his father or his mother what he had done. And he went down and talked with the woman, and she pleased Samson well. And after a time, he returned to take her. And he turned aside to see the carcass of the lion. And behold, there was a swarm of bees and honey in the carcass of the lion. And he took thereof in his hands and went on eating and came to his father and mother. And he gave them, and they did eat. But he told not them that he had taken the honey out of the carcass of the lion. All right, uh, I call this one the recollection of the divine power. Here's Samson, and God came on him. Did you know you don't have to be perfect for God to come on you? Uh, in the adult Sunday school class, we were reading about Lot and uh, how he was a righteous man. That just man, the New Testament calls him. It says he vexed his righteous soul. Lot was far from a perfect man. He was far from a perfect husband and far from a perfect father. And yet God calls him a righteous man and delivered him out of Sodom. He didn't deliver anybody else. And Samson had a number of uh, character problems. And yet the Spirit of the Lord came on him. Now, it's going to make it a hard life for you the more you try to be used of the Lord and still have all these character issues that Samson and Lot had. You know, Samson and Lot, they had a tough time in life. They had broken heart after broken heart. They had, the Bible uses the word vex, V-E-X. That does not mean comfort. <laughs> that means hard times. The more you just surrender to God and read your Bible like you're supposed to and pray like you're supposed to and hang around with God's people like you're supposed to and improve and grow like you're supposed to, the more peace you'll have and the more you avoid those things and yet still be saved and try to live somewhat of a Christian life, the more frustrating it's going to be. So Lot and Samson had real hard times, but you know what? The Lord was still with them. And I can remember times in my life I wasn't doing like I should have done. 
And it wasn't any fun, but I'll have to give him this. The Lord was still with me. Amen. I'll have to give him that. So, first thing I want to say about revealing, uh, remembering the divine power is God reveals his power before great confrontations. Samson's going to go down there and have a big confrontation with the Philistines. You remember the story. We've heard these stories ever since our Sunday school days. In the same way with David, when he was going to go be king and have to face Philistines and things. The Lord let a lion and a bear show up where he was watching those sheep. And he killed them. And that gave him the confidence to know, you know what, I can handle things. You know what's real good for young men? To overcome some things. To win some battles. To figure out that with God's help, they can get some stuff done. Boy, that's a good thing. Boy, do young men need that. Boy, do we need to win some battles. Boy, do we need to overcome some things. Everybody, but young men especially, get close to God, work your job every day, learn your lessons every day, do all you can, overcome them, and get some confidence that you and God can handle what's coming your way. You know why Samson knew that he could fight and whoop these Philistines? Because a lion showed up and he tore that thing up. You know why David knew he could handle the giant? Because a lion and a bear showed up, and he killed them. God reveals power before great confrontations. I'll tell you something else. God rewards appreciative remembrance. When uh, Samson comes back by, he says, you know, I remember that lion coming out right here. You sometimes travel the same route, going to visit family or something, and you come to that same exit on the interstate or that same restaurant or that same store where the kids were sick one time and as you pass you remember, yeah boy I remember last time I was here <laughs> you know what's real good? when it's something God did and Samson imperfect as he was and carnal as he was and immature and rebellious as he was, remembered that God showed up you know that's a real good thing to look back at Amen. Now, Samson was pretty bullheaded, hard-headed, and you couldn't reason with him, so he ended up dying young. But some of you, you're not quite as bullheaded as Samson. You're not right with God right now. You're not exactly where you should be, but the Lord's going to recall something that he did through you, and you're not quite as stupid as Samson was and hard-headed, and it's going to soften your heart, and you're going to go back to it. Oh, don't harden that heart. Don't harden that head. <laughs> or you'll end up like Samson and poor old Lot. But Samson remembered him here, and that's a real good thing to remember what the Lord has done. I'll tell you something else. God sustains in travel that he authorizes. Now, normally, I would not recommend for an Israelite to go take a Philistine, those pagan, false, God-worshipping Philistines. But Judges 14, verse 4 says, His father and his mother knew not that it was of the Lord that he sought an occasion against the Philistines. So the Lord was behind this trip. That doesn't mean I recommend that you go intermarry with somebody that doesn't worship your God. I think that's a stupid idea. I'm not recommending that. But I am saying, if God has a plan in a situation, 
he'll, uh, he'll take care of you. And when he does take care of you, and you go back to that place, that's where you'll find you some honey. That's where you'll find you some sustenance. Oh, honey is good. Oh, man, a little bit of sweet honey will take care of you when you haven't had anything for a long time. Look uh, over at Judges chapter 15. Judges chapter 15, verse 12. Judges chapter 15, verse 12. Uh, he's in another fight with a bunch of Philistines here, the Bible says. And they said unto him, We are come down to bind thee, that we may deliver thee into the hand of the Philistines. And Samson said unto them, Swear unto me that you will not fall upon me yourselves. And they spake unto him, saying, No, but we will bind thee fast and deliver thee into their hand, but surely we will not kill thee. And they bound him with two new cords and brought him up from the rock. When he came unto Lehi, the Philistines shouted against him, and the Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon him. And the cords that were upon his arms became as flax that was burnt with fire, and his, hand, his bands loosed from off his hands. And he found a new jawbone of an ass, and put forth his hand, and took it, and slew a thousand men therewith. And Samson said, With the jawbone of an ass, heaps upon heaps, with the jaw of an ass, have I slain a thousand men. You know, if you killed a thousand men, it would be heaps upon heaps. <laughs> I mean, piles of them, man. Verse 17, And it came to pass when he had made an end of speaking that he cast away the jawbone out of his hand and called the place, called that place Ramath-Lehi. And he was sore athirst and called on the Lord and said, Thou hast given this great deliverance into the hand of thy servant, and now shall I die for thirst and fall into the hand of the uncircumcised? But God clave in hollow place that was in the jaw, and there came water thereout. And when he had drunk, his spirit came again, and he revived Wherefore he called the name thereof in Hakore, which is in Lehi, unto this day. So the Lord took care of Samson when he had a job for him to do on the way down there and helped him defeat that lion. And when he came back through to keep that relationship up with the Philistines, so the Lord would keep whooping them with him, he got some honey out of that very place where God had delivered him. Now... He picks up the weapon of the jawbone of some poor old donkey that had died, and all that's left is its skeleton, and he just grabs the skull of the thing and gets just the jawbone and kills a thousand men with it, but he's about to die of thirst. There isn't exactly a well around there. He can't pull over at you know, McDonald's and get a soft drink. You know what the Lord does? That's okay. I'll, I'll make water come out of that jawbone. Now, you know, of course, that water doesn't normally come out of jawbones. <laughs> You know what that, that teaches me? That teaches me that when you remember God's power and He's got you on a job, He takes care of it if He has to do something supernatural. Amen. I remember the old timers, uh, Pastor Bell and Harold Seitler and uh, Oliver B. Green preaching some of these types of things and said, if you're living for God and you're trying to win people to the Lord, you, won't, you will not starve to death. He'll feed you if he has to put the angels on half rations. <laughs> you don't have to worry about being provided for if you're busy serving God. Who goeth a warfare at his own charges? God will take care of you. So that's Moses with the recognition of the divine presence and Samson with the recollection of the divine power. All right, let's turn to the New Testament. Look at Matthew chapter 2. Matthew 
Matthew chapter 2, verse 1. The Bible says, Now when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, there came wise men from the east to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and are come to worship him. When Herod the king had heard these things, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he demanded of them where Christ should be born. And they said unto him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet, And thou, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, art not the least among the princes of Judah, for out of thee shall come a governor that shall rule my people Israel. Then Herod, when he had privily called the wise men, inquired of them diligently what time the star appeared. So it was important to him where to look and about what time did all this start to go down. Verse 8, And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search diligently for the young child. And when ye have found him, bring me word again that I may come and worship him also. When they had heard the king, they departed and Lo, the star which they saw in the east went before them till it came and stood over where the young child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceeding great joy. And when they saw the young child with Mary his mother, and when they were coming to the house, they saw the young child with Mary his mother and fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented unto him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned of God in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed into their own country another way. I call this the realization of a divine promise. You know what they did? They looked up and saw a star. It doesn't say that everybody in the world was looking for that star. The very people in Judea who had the Old Testament and knew all these things, they didn't know about it. Herod had to ask, now where is he? And now, how will we know when to be looking for this? It says he inquired of them diligently what time the star appeared. So they knew that there was something they could be looking for, but it wasn't common knowledge. It wasn't like everybody in Israel was lined up there bringing him gifts. There were just a few that did. Why did they know about it? That's a very interesting thing, and I've tried to look into this over the years, and I still don't understand it completely. But I do know that Balaam, who is from Mesopotamia, around Babylon, mentions the star in Numbers 24, 17. So Balaam seems to have known about it. Babylon had wise men that looked at stars, Daniel 5, verse 15. And I also know that Daniel gives the time, and he is in the Babylon area in Daniel 9, 24 to 26. So those people over there in Babylon had done some study on these things, or at least some of them had. Now, the first thing I notice about this realization of the divine promise is that God reveals to those who study. Listen, study the Word of God. Read the Word of God. Notice what God was doing with Adam and Eve, and then notice what He was doing with the next generations, and then notice what He was doing with Abraham and Sarah. Uh, you know, in the New Testament... It tells the wives, you know, how they should behave. I think it's in 1 Peter 3, if I remember correctly. And it says, even as Sarah. So you need to go back and read Abraham and Sarah to see how husbands and wives are supposed to interact. Does this mean that they were perfect and sinless? No. But that's part of how you're supposed to interact is, what about when they're not being perfect? 
What about when they're sinning? Did you know husbands and wives sometimes are imperfect? <laughs> of course. Did you know the Bible explains to you how to handle that? <laughs> Go read and study Abraham and Sarah. Go read and study about the second coming. Read and study about the kind of people that are supposed to be in authority. Read and study about the kind of people that are supposed to be in submission. The Bible has the answers to everything. You know what God does? He reveals truths to them who study. Let me read uh, Isaiah chapter 60. Let's see. Isaiah 60. Arise, shine, for thy light is come, and the glory of the Lord is risen upon thee. For behold, the darkness shall cover the earth, and gross darkness the people. But the Lord shall arise upon thee, and his glory shall be seen upon thee. And the Gentiles shall come to thy light, and kings to the brightness of thy rising. Lift up thine eyes round about and see. All they gather themselves together, they come to thee. Thy sons shall come from far, and thy daughters shall be nursed at thy side. Thou shalt, then thou shalt see and flow together, and thine heart shall fear and be enlarged, because the abundance of the sea shall be converted unto thee. The forces of the Gentiles shall come unto thee. The multitude of camels shall cover thee. Sounds like people are coming from the desert, doesn't it? The dromedaries of Midian and Ephah, all they from Sheba shall come. They shall bring gold and incense, and they shall show forth the praises of the Lord. Somebody had been reading and studying their Bible and had read some of these things about stars and the Gentiles coming and coming across apparently desert-type land, and they had looked for these things and they knew about them. And they knew about the star from Numbers 24. They knew about the timing of it from Daniel chapter 9. Somebody... That's not something that just you know jumps off the page at you. You gotta dig. Amen. Let me tell you about the King James Bible. It's worth digging into. And the quicker you learn it, the better. And the faster you learn right from wrong, the better. And the quicker you start practicing right from wrong, the better. And the quicker you understand the right relationship with your parents and the right relationships with your brothers and sisters and the right relationship with your friends and the right relationship with your spouse and the right relationship with your children the better. Don't wait till you have grandkids to start figuring these things out. Start figuring them out as a young person. Why? Because it'll make your relationship so much better. I saw a study, a book that was written recently on a big, long study that they did on happiness. And they said one of the main keys to people saying they're happy in life is their relationships. Oh, man. No wonder the Bible believes in madness or so miserable. We're so busy proving that we're right. Proving you're right does no good for your relationships. Amen. Don't misunderstand. You do need to be right. I didn't say throw out being right. But understand the right and also understand what helps you have a good relationship with people so that you can take that right and help them with it. I don't care how right you are. If somebody won't ever come around you because they can't stand you, you can't help them. <laughs> Amen. So therefore, have the right and have the relationship where possible. Now there will be some people that are so bullheaded. You can't help them. And that's a shame and that's a tragedy and I'm sorry about it. But be sure it's because of their bullheadedness, not because you're just mean. Because one of the main things that contributes to your happiness is your relationships. 
So study, study in all, all those areas. This has the answer to every area of your life. The Bible is not just a book that tells you how to get saved and, you know, get your tithe. I think sometimes some pastors think that, but that's not what it is. The Bible is not just a book that tells you to attend church and, you know, have a prayer time. Although it has that, and that's crucial to your life, it covers every facet of life. Study and know what the Word of God says about all of these things. God reveals to those who study. I'll tell you something else. God rewards with His presence those who seek Him. These people cared about finding the Lord. They, they were wise men. Some people claim that they were kings, maybe because of that passage over there in Isaiah chapter 60. It talked about the kings coming I'm pretty sure that they were men of some importance if they had gold. So therefore, um, they thought it was important enough to put all their plans on hold and take a trip. I don't know, probably may have taken a year or more to come find the Lord. Is the Lord that important to you? Would you just let your job just go and just figure, I'll just get another one if I can get in fellowship with the Lord? There's a lot of people that think God's that important. They just take the leftovers after work and fixing things and taking care of things and meeting obligations. And whatever they have left, they give a little bit of that to God. No, no, no. You take care of him first. He comes number one. When the Bible teaches tithing, it says tithing of what? The first fruits. Why? He comes first. Then you do everything else. Always put God first. And what do they get for this? They get to see the Lord Jesus. Can you imagine the honor of getting to literally, physically, visibly see Jesus Christ? That's something you and I never have done, isn't it? They got to show up and give him gifts. What an honor that would be. I'll tell you one last thing. God protects those who live in the light that they have. There were a lot of things they didn't know. There were a lot of things they didn't understand. They didn't understand that Herod would be against the Lord Jesus. They just knew, well, we got these passages, and there's a star, and it's going to be for this guy that's going to be born king of the Jews. So we're following that. That's what we do. And they don't have the star for a while and go talk to Herod. and He's not able to really help them, and the star reappears, and they follow it again. Said they were so excited. They were so full of joy to see that star again. And when they got there, they brought the gifts. And they worshipped the Lord. But Herod was ready to persecute them. They didn't give up where Jesus was. So you know what the Lord did? He came to them in a dream and said, don't go back to Herod. You go home a different way. You know what that reminds me? There is going to be danger in you living a godly life. Amen. There is a real devil out there who hates your Jesus. There's a real world out there that hates your Jesus. And let me tell you this. Your flesh doesn't care for the Lord Jesus. Amen. As bad as that devil is, and as bad as this world is, let me be real clear. You are your worst enemy. Yes. That's where your problem is. Yeah. Is yeah. you. Now the world is no friend to grace, and the devil certainly isn't, but the, the one that will give you the most trouble is you. Amen. Let me tell you what the Lord will do if you'll walk in the light that you have. 
He'll protect you from the devil. He'll protect you from this world. And thank God, best of all, He'll protect you from your own stupid, self-destructive self. I'm afraid a lot of us don't think that. We think, well, I'm a good Christian. You know, my big phrase is the Bible-believing Baptist. Oh, boy, that's my hero. Well, let me tell you about us Bible-believing Baptists. We are our own worst enemy. I don't know how many times people in my fundamentalist friend circles said, well, that Dr. Ruffman, he's his own worst enemy. Well, true, but guess what? That's true of every single one of us. Yeah. We're all our own worst enemy. I, I heard Dr. Ruffman refute that many a time and say, yeah, yeah, I sure am, and I admit that all the time. But let me tell you something. You are too, brother. <laughs> you want protection? Let me tell you what you do. Walk in the light that you have. You know what the light is that you have? A King James Bible. Be in it every day. Talk to people about it. Fellowship about it. Sing about it. Think about it. Meditate on it. Come to hear it taught and preached. Fill your mind with this book and go in that light. You say, what about the things I don't know and I don't understand? God shows up and protects you. Exactly what he does for these wise men. All right, what are we seeing today? We've seen three examples of stopping and taking time to notice God in the daily toils of life. Moses was sensitive to the presence of God. Samson appreciated the power of God. And the wise men found and claimed the promise of God. Now we live in a fast-paced world. I mean, 30-second video after 30-second video and news snippet and news snippet and look at this and see what's going on. And we know what's going on with this country star and their marriage and that Hollywood actor and this... <coughs> A political problem in this war, in this weather, in this sports thing, and all blah 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 blah, just filling our mind with a bunch of junk. Hey, turn that off and take time to be holy. Hey, speak off with thy Lord, and then when you are busy, you'll be so much on your mind that when all of a sudden He shows up, you turn aside to see. And you won't believe the power.